This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hey, movie addicts, welcome to Cinema Fix, your stop for the purest, highest quality movie reviews on the block. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined today by nobody. It's actually just me here today, folks, but uh, not to worry because this is a special bonus post Oscars episode of Cinema Fix, and I will be joined by some fantastic special guests later on. If you're new to Cinema Fix, uh, this is the show on Film Geek Radio focused on in-depth discussion of mainstream blockbuster films. We are here to satisfy your addiction to quality conversation about the movies. Usually each week we release an episode in two parts focused on a specific film, but not today. Not t- t- today we are talking Oscars. The 84th Academy Awards were last night and now everybody is buzzing about them. Who won? Who didn't win? Who wore what? Who spilled ashes on whom? Which shot of Uggy the dog from the artist was the cutest? I mean, the consensus from most people seems to be that last night's show was pretty terrible. And you know what? I I would have to agree with that. I was not a huge fan of the proceedings. I live-tweeted the event for Film Geek Radio and spent most of my time making jokes, or at least trying, rather, to be funny. I don't know if I actually was funny. You'll have to, to let me know. You can find that live blog of the evening over on the website, www.filmgeekradio.com. But yeah, I, I wasn't a huge fan of the show. But anyways, I, I, I really wanted to have this bonus episode to hear what other much smarter and more well-spoken individuals than myself had to say about the Oscars. So we found three really great guests to come on today's show and talk about the Academy Awards. Jet Lo from the Film Talk is on the show. I'll also be speaking with Dustin Guy DeFay, the director of Bad Fever, which was my pick for Best Picture last year. And to cap things off, I'll be joined by Robert J. Thompson, arguably the country's foremost expert on television and popular culture. So, yeah, really great guests lined up. Let's dive right into it. First up, we have Jet Lowe. He is the co-host of the weekly podcast, The Film Talk, along with Gareth Higgins. Most of our listeners probably don't know this, but Gareth Higgins' book, How Movies Saved My Soul, was actually what inspired me to study film and film criticism. And the conversation that he and Jet have on their show every week, it's some of the best examples of quality criticism that you're going to find out there. These guys really know how to talk about film in a profound and interesting way and really get to the heart of what movies have to say. So definitely check out the Film Talk. Jet was also recently the host of Variety Studio at the Toronto International Film Festival. He's directed wacky hidden camera shows for the BBC, and he currently works as a freelance photographer shooting stills on movie sets. You can find some samples of his work at onsetimage.com. Suffice to say, he's a pretty cool guy. So let's give him a call and talk about the Oscars. All right, I am joined now by Jet Lowe, co-host of The Film Talk. How are you doing, Jet? I'm I'm doing swell. I'm recovering from from the Oscars, Andrew. <laughs> I saw on Twitter that you said you could rant about this for hours. I'll try not to keep you too long. I have to tell you, if if the Andrew, if the Oscars tell us anything, it's that the science is still out on cryogenics because I'm not sure Billy Crystal was properly revived. <laughs> I don't think Oscars. so either. Teach the controversy, Andrew. You know they forgot to include his career when they did that whole in memoriam montage. I mean, uh, it was pretty pretty brutal. I thought. Yeah, being tasteful. Anyway. Oh, I do have one say about, about the opening montage uh, of seeing Billy Crystal in those movies. Seeing Billy Crystal as Tintin is the stuff nightmares are made of. <laughs> Literally. That's why I'm tired. I could not sleep. It was horrific. But anyway, please, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Please, please continue. Tell me how you really feel. <laughs> no, that's, you, you've got it. Right okay. There. Well, I, I just wanted to call you and, uh, and get your, your overall thoughts on the Oscars, uh, both last night's ceremony and in general, because I know that uh, you, you, you definitely have some strong opinions about them. So I guess, first of all, what did you think of last night's ceremony compared to the Oscars of previous years? Well, the thing is, these things have been going on for a while, and they originated at a time in which uh, a much larger percentage of the population actually went to the movies. And movies were much more of a primary 
um, user of people's time than they are now because now we have the internet and you know we've got video games and we've got so many other things that um, cinema is not the dominant art form that it was not not even as dominant as it was as recently as as the 70s so what was so odd about knowing that what's so odd about the Oscars is they have to constantly tell you why movies are important Right. right. So you ha- literally have to have God himself, Morgan Freeman, validate the whole ceremony at the beginning by coming out and telling you why this is important. And that's what you saw in these montages, which they kept putting through uh, the ceremony montages of, of, of actors speaking. It's it came across as an industry that feels it's in trouble. And I say industry because it's not movies themselves that are in trouble. If you think about what happened and what's happening with the music industry, um, you know, they've been going around saying that piracy is killing music. But it's not. There's more music than ever before. But the music industry, with its incredibly large profit margins, that's what's in trouble. But when you think about new forms of production and distribution and marketing and how they're allowing for new forms of music, uh, music itself is not in trouble. And that's the same things, uh, you know, for movies. I have uh, a friend of mine who's just made a short film. He's doing a series of webisodes. And they're good, solid little films. But they're shot on the 7D, a Canon 7D. Um, and they look incredible. And for folks who don't know, the sets Canon 70 is a still camera, but it shoots video. But it looks incredible. It looks film quality in a way that even if you were doing something two and a half years ago, you couldn't imagine this 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 kind of quality. So uh, cinema, the industry itself, is in, a, is in a, a period of massive change, and hence they feel the need to constantly validate themselves. I mean, you think about it, of the nine films, Andrew, that were nominated for Best Picture, only one is set in the present. That's a good point. That's a good point. You know, I... I found myself thinking um, throughout the ceremony, as you mentioned, there were so many of these montages, as there usually are, just about how great the movies are and why we all love going to the cinema. But at the same time, they, they also feel the need to keep selling you on why you should go to the movies right now, today, and give them your money. I mean, I, I think there might be a problem when we're watching a, a montage of supposedly classic films and we get images from the hangover and twilight mixed in there as well well that's the thing there's this there's huge discrepancy because when you especially when you think about large blockbusters they're practically a different form are those even movies so something like transformers what it was called dark dark of the moon whatever it was called it was a terrible object whatever that you want to call that but those kind of large productions that cost hundreds of millions of dollars or those films that are that are tested to an inch within their life which they alluded to in a, a funny sketch by Christopher Guest and, and the company those are almost a completely different form than um how people traditionally think of movies again if you think about the classic films of the 70s of course if you go back earlier uh, you know they had a studio system and that was something um different entirely but it it did it did it doesn't feel confident when you have to have stars telling you about why things are so why what they're doing is important there's a lack of confidence there and i think there's also guilt i mean chris rock brought it up right getting paid a million dollars for doing almost nothing is is obscene right and that tells you that can all end if you think about the 18th century poets think about like byron 18th century poets were huge they were like rock stars in the 60s and 70s and now nobody cares about poetry, really. It's this tiny little niche. And the same thing can happen to film stars. Look at uh, Japan during the age of the floating world. Um, artists were the lowest caste. And that can happen again. And these millionaires that we're watching just happen to live in this tiny little slice of time in which the, what they do is, has been hugely rewarded financially and otherwise. And that's not going to last. So that's always there. There's guilt for what they're getting. And they also know that some, at some point the party's going to end. And they have to eke out as much as, much as they can uh, you know, to keep the party going. Well, I'm curious as to how you felt about this this whole theme of nostalgia that was present throughout the evening. I mean, as you mentioned, so many of the films are set in the past or are tributes to the past and, and old forms of cinema. And throughout, and look at the look at the sorry to interrupt, but look at the designs of the gowns. I mean, so many right. gowns look like they're from the 50s, the 30s, or the 20s. And I mean, going back to bringing Billy Crystal on to host, and then having you know the 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 the, the stewardesses serving popcorn you know out in the audience and the whole thing just felt very retro do you, i mean do you think that the academy and hollywood in general is a bit too stuck in the past well as, you know as i'm sure you know um the la times recently did a, an expose they they ferreted out the information as best they could as yes. to the the demographic of the uh voter for the academy awards the people that actually literally are members of the academy that vote and 
majority white, only 2% black, which is shocking. Only 1% Hispanic, shocking. The average age was something like 65 white male. Um, these guys are in a totally separate world. And again, if you look at the new technology, look what's happening with social media, the internet, new forms of production distribution, there's a greater generational divide. Never mind these guys in their 60s, but there's a greater generational divide even between people that are 15 and their 30s or 40s than there has been since uh, the 50s when you had race music, which is now called rock and roll. You had a divide between you know, the parents and the kids. So there's this massive divide, and that's really scary. And people's business models are being changed. So when that happens, of course, you're going to have there's a natural instinctual desire to return to an idealized past that never, never existed. And, of course, we see that with, with the Republicans right now, with Rick Santorum uh, opining to go back to some sort of mythical past in America in the, in the 50s, apparently, in which white people weren't threatened like um, they are now, like a certain kind of white person is threatened by change. Um, as we saw when, you know, when Obama was elected, this freaked out so many people, even though they won't necessarily uh, uh, admit it. They right. won't be, be frank about it. So there is that desire for you know, a, a return. And the thing about the artist uh, is uh, it is a film that was shot entirely in Los Angeles. I and mean, one of the things, one of the joys of watching it as someone who lives in L.A., a recently a new convert to, to living in L.A., is to see, wow, this entire thing is shot in Los Angeles, and it's full of people, working people in L.A. So all the actors are like, you know, character actors. You have Bill Murray's brothers in there, and so many people are in there that are working, Penelope Ann Miller, uh, who are working in, in L.A. And so it's a, it's a, it harkens back to an age in which movies were actually made in L.A., and they're not anymore. There still are some, but production in the actual L.A. County has dropped 50%, even from what it was 10 years ago. So there's a, you know, there's a, of course, you want to celebrate this film, especially because it is so joyful. Because at the end of the day, the artist is such a wonderful, fun, joyful piece of, of pop filmmaking. When you, you know, combine all those factors, that's why it was a, a can't miss. That's why everyone knew that it was, or was really pretty sure that it was going to win the, you know, the big awards. Right. I, I mean, there's been a lot of backlash against the artist over the past couple months. Um, and I can sort of understand why, but I, I kind of side with you. I, I really liked the film. Um, I mean, overall, are you happy that a film like The Artist got all the attention that it did. I mean, I don't know if it's ultimately going to matter <laughs> or change anything about the industry. Well, no, I mean, the th first of all, it's it's a sui, sui gaderis, right? If I'm pronouncing Latin correctly, it's, it's of its own kind. We're not going to have a resurgence of, of of new silent films, though. There has it has sparked interest in people looking looking back. But of course, there's been a backlash because um, hacks, and I mean hack in the in in a not in a pejorative sense, but as the old newspaper men used to call themselves, people need to write about something. So when you have these anti-artist articles. You, you're, look, you're literally looking at someone saying, well, I've got a thousand words I have to file for this website. Uh, okay, the artist. And, oh, I don't really like it, da-da-da-da. We're talking here about commercial films, right? The, the, the Academy is designed to promote mm -hmm. the industry. The Oscars are designed to promote the industry. There's another reason why it was formed, why the Oscars were created, and it had to do with union busting, but that's another, that's another issue. We could go off on a tangent. So it's a promotional device for mainstream films. And this is a mainstream movie that's just fun. It hasn't made a huge amount of money, but it's so joyous and so fun, and it puts a smile on your face. And that harkens back to, uh, you know, the films during the Depression era that were just like, hey, let's put on a show and song and dance. And it, it doesn't uh, leave you uh, thinking or, or full of doubt. So it's not like The Descendants, right? you know, or Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close or, or, or something uh, along uh, those uh, lines. Even Hugo. I mean, Hugo, you could say, well, it's a wonderful ending. But at the end of the day, Georges Millet, yes, he gets the recognition, but he's old. Whereas in The Artist, the guy's still young. He's, you know, so he right. can still enjoy the fruits of his labor, and he gets like that, and he's got a young lady as well. So, well, it's interesting that you call the artist a mainstream film because I think that your average moviegoer might look at something like the artist and and feel like it's not mainstream at all, like it's not catering to them. I mean, it's a black and white silent film from a director with a funny last name. So, well, the thing is, is that that's true if you just tell them what you just said. If all they know about it is what you said, if you sit them in the theater and you give them fifteen minutes. Then, then, then there. I think then you've got them because it is. It, I say mainstream. It's got conventional film grammar. It's got you know tr traditional structure. It's you know it's it's, it's singing in the rain meets stars born. So people, you have to get the, the people in the seats. I mean that's a that's a marketing problem, and that's something that um, I would imagine that winning best picture will will help uh, somewhat, even though the Academy Awards don't have the primacy that they that they used to. Well, I, just to wrap up our conversation, I want to get back to what you said earlier about the the demographics of the Academy. I mean, I think it's pretty telling 
that so many of the films nominated are directed by men. I mean, it definitely seems to be a white male-dominated academy and industry to a certain extent. Do you think that's the answer? Do we just need to inject younger, more culturally diverse blood into the industry and into the academy? Will that fix all of our problems? Or I mean, I mean, what's what would you say is the biggest well, you, obstacle? But you, you get into the academy by being nominated for Academy Awards, right? So it's a self it's a self perpetuating uh, uh, system. There, the only way things are going to change is if you have a situation like what happened in the late 60s with Easy Rider, in which you have these films which are different, which are made on the 7D and what have you, if they are nominated. Then, then you're going to see change. But those films actually need to get nominated. The films from a whole crop of, of younger folks need to get nominated. One of the problems is, is that you know the internet is so fractured now that you've got so many people that are making interesting work, and there are people that are making a living off of it, but the, the fame of, and the, the recognition doesn't, that does not necessarily bubble up because the internet has so many silos, if you know what I'm saying. So you can be famous on the internet, and you could have a crowd of 50,000 or 100,000 people who love your work, but it's not like that's mainstream. And you can have dozens of those, of those things. So it's a, it's a very, very different world. We know about these films because of their massive marketing budgets. Right? right. So the artist, if the artist didn't have Harvey Weinstein and this massive marketing spend, we would, you know, it wouldn't have won Best Picture. So behind the scenes, there's a huge, there's a huge number of amount of machinations and money that's being spent, just like in a political campaign, and it is a political campaign, uh, like we have in the, you know, presidential politics here in the United States. And so without that, we're not going to, without those that kind of backing, we're not going to see change. I mean, there, there, there are still people that bubble up again through things like Twitter and Facebook and YouTube, but we're not in a in a time yet in which um, those that's the primary way to to get found. You still need to get agents, and you still need to have you know studios behind you at some level. I use the studio term loosely, meaning people with money behind you at some level to to get um, the recognition. I mean, I don't know how much money was spent uh, to try to get Viola Davis to win Best Actress, and she should have won. By the way, she is the finest American actress that I, I personally and uh, I find, and she was. Uh, I, I would imagine that after the ceremony, she had to spend some time at the local police precinct to file a report because she was robbed again, Andrew, robbed again. <laughs> but uh, I, did I answer your question there? I'm not sure. Yeah, how I, are we going to change? I, I think you did, yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> you know, the demographic change is like the Republican Party, uh, you know, they're dying off because they're becoming more and more white, elderly, uh, a Southern Party, and, and, and the demographics don't favor them. So they're going to have to die off. And it's a certain, you know, same thing with the, the film industry. So, so basically, you're saying that you're just waiting for them to die. I did I well, yes. <laughs> I guess you could put that on your your headline Twitter. Just spoke with Jet Low. He's he, he's trying waiting for the Academy members to to die. Why was there no Why was there no Muppet song? Is my question. <laughs> what what happened there? I'm not even a huge Muppet fan. Where was the Muppet song? They had to uh, you know make room for the Cirque du Soleil performance and more montages. You know the stuff that well, really matters. I miss the Cirque du Soleil. I'm down here in Costa Rica where they've got just fantastic – and Escazú, they've got fantastic empanadas. So I actually did, went outside for some uh, peanut pineapple empanadas, and I missed the Cirque du Soleil. So you can tell me if that was any good. Well, it was interesting to, to see them say, oh, and now we're going to communicate the experience of watching a film by watching through, this theatrical performance. Through dance, like dancing about architecture. <laughs> Yeah. Well, one last thing I want to say, because I've gotten a few emails. You know, I do the show, The Film Talk, and I'll plug it at thefilmtalk.com. And I've gotten a couple of emails from listeners uh, who have been complaining about the winner uh, best score for the artist. Right. Uh, and I don't know how to how do you pronounce his name. You, I don't know. You tell me. Ludovic I B-O-U-R-C. I, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, my uh, French is terrible. And uh, you tell me, what did you think about the score? Because it is a... Uh, it has so many elements. It literally lifts and takes from things like Bernard Herrmann's Vertigo. Right. I mean, I literally I, I, samples. I, yes, it does, and that's why Kim Novak said she was raped. But uh, wow, I, yeah. Did you hear about that? She took out a. I did, yeah. and, but you know, she took out an advertisement. You know, I mean, she's an older lady, so sure. right. She's been around. She's entitled to her. I mean, I disagree. I'm a, I'm a fan of uh, pastiche, but uh, you know, I'm not. Uh, I'm not Kim Novak. Right. I, I mean, I, I really like the score, even though it does borrow heavily from some of those earlier films. I think the, the parts that are original are really great and really catchy. So I, I didn't mind the fact that it won Best Score at all. Well, I, well one of the emails sent to me, uh, um, the guy was pissed off because he said, well, he should have thanked Bernard Herrmann. 
because Bernard Herrmann, of course, wrote the you know the Vertigo score, and and Ludovic thanked was it Sheila E who was on drums, right? Uh, and didn't thank Bernard Herrmann. And I was just about to you know when, when I took this this call from you and to come on uh, come on your show, uh, I was just about to, to send him a reply, and I, I was thinking about that because you know when you think about the score for Vertigo, I, the main love theme Vertigo is a complete lift from Wagner's uh, Tristan and Isolde. It's oh, sure. a total lift, and. Um, Maybe I should provide, put some links on the site so people can understand that. So I mean, everything is a everything is is taken and mishmashed, especially film composers who have to write so much music. I, I remember a few months ago, I was I had never seen In the Heat of the Night, which is the you know Sidney Poitier won Best Picture, directed by Norman Jewison, and Quincy Jones did the music, right? Right. And there's this you know evil bad guy crackers. Uh, they're driving in Southern Town. They're driving through. Uh, you know, trying to attack Sidney Poitier. And you see them drive around throughout the film in this giant, I think it's a Cadillac, but it's got giant fins. And when the fins pass by the camera, there's this da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> and you go, holy crap, John Williams did use that. And whether he did it consciously or not, the, there's the fin and it makes that, and this was like in the late 60s. So my point here is, uh, you know, everything is taken from something else. Yeah, maybe he could have thanked uh, Bernard Herrmann, but yeah, there you go. Well, yeah, I mean, you can't think you can't thank all of your influences. I mean, just think about how many of the uh, Oscar winners' work were based on books or adapted from from previous work, and I don't think anybody thanked the authors. I could be wrong. Well, that's well, that's that's an that's an interesting uh, point. Who won best adapted screenplay? Oh, uh, that was, was um, the, the Descendants. The Descendants. I think that I think maybe they. Did they think a Hawaiian flower was mentioned? So I'm assuming, <laughs> yeah. I'm assuming that possibly was the uh, <laughs> was the book. Okay. Well, any closing thoughts on the Oscars? Uh, well, this is you know apropos of what you were saying about new blood and thinking about all the men, uh, bridesmaids. Uh, should have been featured more prominently. I think Bridesmaids is one of the best films of the year. I think it's a fantastic drama that just happens to be explosively funny every 10 minutes. And Bride, Bridesmaids should have gotten a nod for Best Picture. Absolutely. Why it did not, I don't know, is a mystery. Because it's a great motion picture. It's hysterically funny. Uh, it's sharp across the board. And it's something that people are going to be watching years from now. People are going to be watching, you know, years from now. They're not going to be watching Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. They're, they're just not. They're not watching it now. They're not going to be watching it in the future. And so I think Bridesmaids should have been nominated for Best Picture. I think that it should have won for Best Original Screenplay. I think that would have – I mean, Woody Allen doesn't need an Oscar. He doesn't. <laughs> right. I mean – there's a whole idea of validation. People love a comeback story. So Woody Allen had this huge biggest hit of his career with Midnight in Paris. And that sort of validates all his last 15 pictures or whatever it is. You think, wow, Midnight in Paris is so great. Maybe, you know, maybe Scoop isn't that bad. But he doesn't need that kind of validation. Whereas if, if, if Bridesmaid had won Best Original Script, I think that really would have done something. Because you've got a, a film. One of the, the things that is shocking while watching Bridesmaids is it makes you realize, and this I'm speaking as a male, of course women would know this inherently, I'm sure, it makes you realize how often women, women's parts, are, you know, they're all written by men. Right. So when you have a scene when you have two women talking to each other, it's written by women, it's a scene in, the, in a cafe early on between Maya Rudolph and Kristen Wiig, and you go, wow, this is actually written by women. Right? It's, not, it's not written by men, and it's, it has a completely different feel in terms of how they relate to each other and how they relate to male uh, you know, sexuality. And if that, that had win, that had won. Uh, I think that that right there would go, uh, you know, some some way towards what you're talking about in terms of changing the dynamic, especially because Kristen Wiig is one of the great great clowns, um, you know, of our time. But they didn't do that. They gave it to they gave it to uh, an old white guy in his seventies who famously never attends the show. Well, you heard it here first, folks. According to Jet Lo, Bridesmaids should have won Best Picture, and I can't wait for everybody to die off. <laughs> well, Jet, thank you very much for joining me today on the show. Where can people find you online? So you can find us online at thefilmtalk.com, and it's easy enough to subscribe through iTunes via the site. And we also have an app for the iPad and the iPhone, the Touch, and Android, and you can find those in the various markets. And we're also uh, on Stitcher, so just do a search for The Film Talk. And I have to say, uh, The Film Talk, you, you guys really are a fantastic podcast I, I whenever people ask me hey what should i be listening to for quality film discussion i always point them towards the film talk because you guys are two of the uh the, the last remaining really great in-depth critics working well uh, well thanks andrew i'm i uh I, I I'm humbled though. I hopefully when people do ask you i hope you do say first of all before them i hope you do say film film geek radio 
Oh, really. sure. Absolutely. Okay. Just, just, I'm just checking. But hey, thanks so much for having <laughs> me on. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks again to Jet for coming on the show. Don't forget to check out The Film Talk at www.thefilmtalk.com. One quick announcement before moving on. I've been saying it for the past few weeks, and I, I, I'm going to keep saying it for a while. We need your feedback. We are trying to get a sense of who's listening and what you want to hear from, from Film Geek Radio, what you like, what you don't like. We have a listener feedback survey on the website, www.filmgeekradio.com. You can find a link to it in the right sidebar and at the bottom of the page it only takes around 15 minutes to fill out and it's completely anonymous it would really help us out a lot if you submitted one of those surveys to us i'm not going to harp on it too much i I just want to mention it because we really are trying to get a sense of who's listening and figure out what you do and don't like about the show that way we can improve it so it would mean a lot to us if you fill one of those surveys out Speaking of the website, if you visited filmgeekradio.com a week ago, dear listeners, you will have seen a blog post I put up about my top 15 films of 2011. I finally came out and made a list of my favorite films from last year. Some of them you might have heard of, some of them you might not have heard of, but my number one film was a movie I'm sure most of you have never heard about. And it's a little movie called Bad Fever that I saw at a film festival last year. It finally received a one-week theatrical run in New York City a few weeks ago. So I guess you could argue technically it's, it, it's a 2012 release. But it's really a beautiful, challenging movie about loneliness and how we all long for connection. I highly encourage you to check it out if you get a chance. My next guest is the director of that movie, Dustin Guy DeFay. His new short film, Family Nightmare, just played at Sundance last month and will also be playing at South by Southwest in two weeks. So if you'll be in Austin, definitely check that out while you're there. I decided to call him up to get the perspective of an independent filmmaker on the Academy Awards and whether or not they actually mean anything. So without further ado, here is that conversation. All right, I am joined today by the director of Bad Fever and the new short film Family Nightmare, which will be playing at South by Southwest. Dustin Guy DeFay, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing uh, doing pretty well. The main reason I wanted to give you a call was to talk about the Oscars, because everyone seems to have an opinion about the Oscars and who should have won, who shouldn't have won, what do the Oscars even matter? And I wanted to call you because you are a filmmaker yourself. You're a director. Uh, you directed Bad Fever, which was my favorite film of last year. So I wanted to ask you, as a filmmaker, how much do you think the Oscars really matter? They have mattered, and I, I think they've mattered. And uh, I mean, they're they're they've always been such an amazing thing to me when I was when I was younger, and even up to like you know I don't know ten years ago, I still had a fascination with them, um, and I still have a fascination with the old Oscars and old Hollywood, and then the new Hollywood um, and the studios. But I mean, as a filmmaker now, I am discouraged by the whole affair and. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it must matter. It must matter to the industry in some way. And um, I, I, I generally thought the last few years that the most interesting categories are the acting categories. This year, I've just basically just been feeling not excited about anything. So they don't matter to me. And they're mattering less and less to me, which is very sad. Well, I mean, why is that? You, you mentioned that you've grown a little bit discouraged with, with, with the Oscars and with, I guess, the whole, the whole institution of it. Uh, why is that? Uh, the, I mean, I, I mean, I, 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 I don't even know if it's the Oscars fault necessarily. I think it's more the studios becoming corporations and churning out these horrible things that they call movies. Uh, and so I, I just, the whole industry has just shifted in, in such a terrible direction. I don't go see mainstream movies usually. And I don't know why anybody actually would other than just to like, I, I mean, basically it feels like, uh, fast food in a way to me nowadays mm-hmm. movies movies just seem like again I don't go to McDonald's and I don't drink Red Bull and they seem like those sorts of things they seem like things that give you the sensation of what Red Bull is or something uh, and maybe if you can maybe if you consume too much it'll kill you yeah they're like yeah I, I mean mostly I feel like they're just visceral things to just keep you I, I to to make numb people feel uh, they're watching something that's good. I don't know why people go see movies anymore. I I, I, I mean, they, I'm wondering what's going to happen with the, the industry um, 
And if this 3D bubble, I, I, I kind of wonder if the 3D bubble bursts, if they'll have anything left. And if, you know, the hope, the hope would be that the same kind of thing that happened uh, in the 60s when, the, when they, they couldn't get people in the theaters and they decided to take risks on uh, all these crazy filmmakers. Just, I, I used to think that might happen, but I just don't. I think now we're in such a bad state that I, I've totally given up on, on that idea and that the idea of making a movie with a studio. Maybe it'll happen in my lifetime, but uh, it used to be a dream of mine, and now I, I, I can't even imagine it, and I probably would not. Pref- I would prefer not to ever do it. Well, I mean, as you pointed out, I mean, it seems like the industry is definitely in a in a real state of transition and a state of change, and they're they really don't know what to do about it, and they're kind of struggling to figure things out. Um, so I think you're sort of we're we're sort of seeing this battle being waged between sort of the the old old institutions that have been in place for the past few decades, and now we have this sort of new life we have this new outlet for independent film in the form of new technology and the internet and social media so it seems like there's this this sort of war going on for the soul of the movies almost i communicated with you a little bit uh, before the show and you you told me that you thought uh, last night's oscar ceremony was a bit like a hollywood funeral uh, could you elaborate on on what you meant by that no, just more and more, they're starting to feel like a funeral. Like they, it feels like they're trying to um, still keep. It's like it's like they're just trying to keep the whole spirit alive of what used to be an amazing spirit. I think in Hollywood, um, and just that. Uh, I, I mean, movie stars used to be more magical and graceful and um, and mysterious. Uh, and I, I, and I used to be drawn to them in such an amazing way, and now I don't find them to be that way. And so, and even just Hollywood, the idea of Hollywood uh, being this magical, mysterious place is, is doesn't exist to, for me anymore. And uh, I just feel like they're just trying to. It's just like they're trying to uh, keep resurrect, keep keep the heart beating. And the heart of cinema, I don't. It just doesn't seem like it's necessarily there anymore. And I, I mean, I, I'm I'm not. I'm getting less sad about that I, that idea. I'm actually feeling starting to feel good about that. Uh, I, I've spent a number of years being depressed about that, uh, but I I've, I'm starting to feel okay because I don't believe in. I, I just don't believe in them anymore. I don't believe the studios. I just don't believe in them anymore. So it's. I mean, it's that sad, but I that's okay. I can definitely tell you're you're pretty cynical now about the state of um about the state of Hollywood and the state of the, the the industry in general. But at the same time, I also know that you're a talented filmmaker. You love making movies. Um, I mean, what what is there that's still left in cinema that that brings you joy? I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. I'm definitely not cynical about movie making in any way. Um, and and it is the thing that gives me the greatest joy. Uh, so just the, the language of cinema is, is what's exciting to me. And that's, what's so beautiful, um, about being a filmmaker and a film goer. Um, but yeah, I'm cynical about the business and the industry. I, you know, like case in point, Margaret being such an amazing film and, and the way I, I, I don't, you know, I don't know the whole story, but it seems like, I think, who was it? Fox Searchlight? Right. Um, I, I don't know, you know, it's just things you read, but, uh, they, maybe they didn't care for the movie and just tried to drop it, uh. And, you know, if they would have handled it better, it's hard, It's very hard to imagine that it wouldn't have gotten nominated for a couple of awards. Well, I mean, it did get very, very good reviews. Everyone that saw it yeah. seemed to, to really like it. But you're right. There wasn't really any big marketing push behind it. And I doubt mainstream audiences have even heard of Margaret, let right. alone have lived in a city where they would have been able to see it. Uh, yep. so, so, I mean, do you feel that most of the time the movies that, deserve to be nominated and deserve recognition just don't get it no i mean not necessarily i mean that, that i think that's the most hard, the most drastic version of that story because it is it is it just does seem to me like the the big gap and divide between you know the, that possibly that, that that studio didn't didn't think that movie was a good film is depressing that they would they would release it in such a way and not know that what, what they had on their hands was such was such goals and I mean, it's it, it's easy to see that if they would have handled it correctly, that at least uh, Anna Paquin, Janine Berlin, and Longren would have gotten nominated for a screenplay. So I, I don't know. I can't remember in past years. I, I I know every every year there's something where you're like, why why didn't that get nominated? But that that's like the most drastic one. And then this year, you know, I don't, I haven't seen the artist. 
I, I am not going to see it. But, you know, there, I liked, I mean, I thought Moneyball was a pretty good movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would have liked to have seen that one something. I mean, it, it's interesting because it seems like nowadays it's it's easier than ever for someone to grab a camera and go out and make a movie and, and distribute it either online or, or distribute it uh, themselves. Um, but it seems like it's still very difficult for truly independent films to gain any traction and to get recognized. Have, have you found that to be the case in, in your own work and, and in your own life? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it is difficult, but it, but it matters on your goals. I think, I mean, I, I mean, my goals, it, I, I do have ambition and I do have goals to get to a certain point, but if you're, yeah, I mean, in terms of the Oscar, I mean, I have no, I would never make a movie thinking about the Oscars or, or I, I would never think I'm ever going to get nominated for an Oscar um, or a film that I make would go that direction. Uh, so that kind of recognition is not something that uh, seemed interesting to me, but recognition uh, among my peers uh, and recognition. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm a filmmaker who really would like to have an audience and it is frustrating um, when you feel like you have a movie that deserves to be seen in a, in a wider release or with, with, with a bigger audience. And um, it's, uh, it's hard to find. And I think it's very hard to find nowadays with everybody. It's just, there's so much content and uh, I do feel people care a little bit less about movies than they used to. Um, I think movies used to be number one, and uh, and now uh, they're competing with all the on- online content and video games, etc. It's interesting to me that you you bring up that that point about distribution um, and and recognition because, I mean, it it seems to me that uh, a film like yours, for example, Bad Fever. Uh, that's a film that, in my opinion, deserves a lot more recognition. And the interesting thing about the Oscars is that occasionally they they will recognize independent ventures or quote unquote independent films. And you know, a, an Oscar nomination could go a long way towards helping them generate buzz and find a larger audience. Um, I mean, do you ever think that there's a chance something like Bad Fever, which, which just played in New York City recently? I mean, do you think there's any chance? of an Oscar nomination for, for, for that film? Not for that film, no. Impossible. impossible. Not even for uh, for Kentucky Rodley, for his performance? Impos- no, impossible. Totally impossible. I mean, you know, these movies, they, yeah, they, they don't, uh, those those kind of independent movies that do get nominations, they're, I don't know how that all works out, but I mean, we're not, we're not even near that scale of, of mm-hmm. film. With Kentucky, I mean, yeah, if anything could get nominated for anything, in the future for like Gotham award or independent spirit award, I would imagine that it would be Kentucky's performance. Were there any films that you saw this year that you do think should have been nominated that perhaps weren't other than Margaret? Oh, other than Margaret. Yeah, I mean like, like in, 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 in an ideal world, in a, in a perfect world where, yeah. you, where you could choose which films got nominated uh, regardless of the politics and, and, and everything. Yeah. Um, I would say Michael Shannon for, take shelter and probably take shelter for a couple, whatever other couple awards. Uh, and, uh, in documentary, the autobiography of Nikolai Tuchescu and, uh, take and, uh, uh, Senna also. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, those, those, those movies I thought were all really amazing films. Um, I think that's it in terms of, I mean, that, that's just in terms of, you know, movies that, have a, would have a shot at getting nominated. There are a lot of movies that I like that were smaller films that wouldn't have a shot. All right. Well, um, it's been great talking with you. What, what can you tell us about the future of Bad Fever and uh, and Family Nightmare? I mean, I assume Bad Fever will be getting released on DVD sometime in the near future. Yeah, we have a couple. We have a, at least one more theatrical run. We have a theater, We have a we have a run in San Francisco. A week long run, and then we might have a maybe we'll have another week long run somewhere else. But we're also doing one night, two nighters across you know across the country in different cities. Uh, then the VOD and uh, digital and DVD is in June for Bad Fever, uh, and then Family Nightmare. I'm just going to festivals. I mean, I'm going to True False and South by Southwest, as we said. And then I actually am going to a whole bunch of other festivals with that movie. Okay. All right. Well, it's been great talking with you, Dustin. Um, I really look forward to catching up with you in Austin and and seeing Family Nightmare because I'm a big fan of your work, and I I wish you all the best. Thanks, Andy. Thank you. 
All right, that was my conversation with Dustin Guy DeFay, the director of Bad Fever and Family Nightmare. Definitely a very cynical perspective on the Oscars and the industry and how certain films are either overlooked or just not the types of movies that the Academy would even consider nominating, which is it's a little bit sad. I mean, you know, I, I really loved Bad Fever. It was my favorite film of last year. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that it, it doesn't seem like it has much of a chance for some serious awards and recognition. But anyways, moving on. I am very excited about our third and final guest. We've got Robert J. Thompson coming on the show. Bob Thompson, ladies and gentlemen. He is the founding director of the Blair Center for Television and Popular Culture and a professor of pop culture at Syracuse University. He is considered one of the country's leading experts on television and pop culture and is somewhat notorious for constantly being quoted in the media. Online, in the New York Times, you name it, if there's a big feature published about any aspect of popular culture, he's probably quoted. And and why shouldn't he be? I mean, the guy is an expert. Wikipedia says so, so it, it, it must be true. He has written, co-written, and edited six books, including Primetime Prime Movers and Television Second Golden Age. So if there's anybody who can give us a solid historical look at the Oscars and what the Oscars mean, culturally speaking, it's him. Let's call him up. All right. I'm joined today by Professor Robert Thompson, and we are here to talk about the Oscars. Did you watch the uh, the ceremony last night? I did. It's in my job description. <laughs> well, what, what did you think overall of the, uh, of the ceremony? Well, I would say it was a competent production. Um, I mean, I think, uh, you know, whenever 16 years or whenever the 100th anniversary of the Oscars uh, uh, happens and they do their big montage of great moments in Oscar history, I don't think there's going to be any clips from last night uh, 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 in that production. I mean, it was, there's, there was nothing that was terribly memorable. You know, Billy Crystal did what Billy Crystal had to do. He even actually puts in his lyrics once that you knew I was going to uh, uh, have to do this. He went through his uh, uh, motions. I think he did a, a pretty good job. But, um, uh, you know, they got the awards all out and they weren't too late. I guess that's really all you can ask from an Oscar broadcast. It was interesting to me because the Oscars always seems very uh, masturbatory to a certain extent, and we definitely had that last night in, in terms of all the montages about how great the movies are and how everyone loves the movies. But it also seemed to me like there was definitely this real sense of nostalgia over the proceedings, and you can definitely see that in, in the nominations as well. Uh, why, why do you think that is? Right. Well, I mean, it, first of all, yes, it's true that uh, uh, the Oscars are self-congratulatory. That's the whole point of the Academy is to celebrate uh, uh, the industry. I mean, we forget that these Oscars, and the same is true of the Emmys and uh, uh, a lot of award show, shows, are essentially infomercials. Um, I mean, the Oscar is a big infomercial for the films that have been nominated um, and essentially an infomercial, infomercial for the industry of uh, uh, movies. And we certainly saw that uh, uh, this in the 2012 um, uh, edition. Um, but that's really should come as no surprise. And that's basically what these awards uh, uh, exist for. Um, there was a lot of nostalgia uh, this time, although I think generally – if you look at any Oscar broadcast, there's always these montages, and they always go way back, and they sometimes have different themes than the, the other. Uh, that's nothing new. I think what made this different is because we had two films with multiple nominations uh, that take place during the silent film era. I think that was kind of latched upon. You had those, uh, um, what we used to call cigarette girls, those refreshment people going up and down the uh, uh, aisles and uh, that whole kind of, I don't know, 20s, 1910s uh, kind of feel. Um, and I think that's probably because of those two films. Uh, and even Midnight in Paris, of course, uh, uh, is a period piece as well. Oh, uh, absolutely. And getting back to what you said about the Oscars as an infomercial, I mean, I was struck. I, I, I'm, I'm always struck by just how much advertising there is, I mean, the the red carpet interviews, it seems to me, are nothing but, in many ways, advertising for, for upcoming films. I mean, there was that whole stunt with Sasha Baron Cohen and in his dictator outfit last night. Um, and even in the, uh, the, the montages, you've got clips of Titanic and Twilight, which coincidentally either are being re-released or have sequels coming out this year. I mean, no, no question about it. These things are are really all about uh, 
uh, promoting uh, all of these films. And now, I mean, once upon a time, you could turn on the Oscars, and this is, you know, before the age, let's say, of the VCR and uh, uh, cable television. And oftentimes, the films that were being talked about may have already been out of the theater. Uh, you know, if they'd been released early in the uh, uh, year, they could already be out of the theater. Um, so sometimes that promotion didn't really have any place to go. Now you can do all of these uh, promoting of films that are about to come out or uh, montages of films from before. And with the uh, with all of this stuff available on on-demand or uh, streaming or um, uh, DVDs, uh, it's like you know any film you see a clip of in the Oscars, you know it's easy enough for you to then go, uh, um, you know, go see in any number of different uh, different formats. Well, I mean, I, I think as a result, it's also very easy for people to become cynical about the Oscars and think, oh, well, it is just about the glitz and the glamour and it's all very superficial and, and empty. Um, but at the same time, there's no denying that the Oscars can be fairly influential as to what the public thinks and what the public is aware of in regards to film. Right. So, I mean, to, to what extent do you feel the Academy Awards matter? Do you think, I mean, do they matter as much as they used to? Well, or? I think they matter if, if we remember what they are. I mean, I think so many times people think somehow the Academy Awards are all about uh, um, uh, objectively giving awards to the best movies in a number of categories by some kind of you know artistic uh, 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 objective uh, set of criteria. And they were never about that. The uh, Academy Awards are not about what the viewer likes. They're not about a reflection of where America is at any given time. They are about what the industry itself, 6,000 people within the uh, uh, movie industry, vote that they want to award as being the best in these categories. And that's all it is. So when people say, um, I would get a kick out of the morning after they say, oh, such and such film got robbed. Uh, 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 you know, I, I can't. I can't believe that they, uh, you know, didn't give the award uh, uh, for best picture to whatever. Or once again, they've forgotten. I mean, this would be the equivalent of if you asked me what my favorite color was, and I, I said purple, and then you'd go off and say, oh, red got robbed. He should have given it to red. That kind of thing. I mean, these, what the Oscars reflect are what the industry in a given year likes best of uh, 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 the films that were released. And once we realize that, that is an interesting piece of, uh, uh, or an, an interesting bunch of data. Um, uh, because often it isn't the same as what America likes. If you want to know what the people like best, all you got to do is look at the box office. What's selling the most tickets? What's making the most uh, uh, money? What's getting the highest ratings? Um, and the Oscars show uh, what's liked best by the people in the industry itself. Influential, I would say yes, especially for, you, you know, when you give the Oscar to, the, to Titanic, um, eh, what, Titanic doesn't need any influence. It was always already a monster, uh, uh, monster hit. But there are a lot of films that often get into the best picture category or get a lot of nominations that most people otherwise would not only never have seen but might never have heard of. And I think the Oscar can be very, very influential in uh, um, in introducing those uh, films to a much wider audience. Once again, this brings us back to the fact that it's a marketing tool. That's one of the ways those films uh, 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 do get heard about and watched. I imagine how many more people saw Brokeback Mountain after it had that good night at the Oscars. Oh, sure. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think it's if, – if you had told me a year ago – that a black and white silent film from a French director was going to win Best Picture. I, I, I have told you you were crazy. <laughs> you know, right. But, Although uh, in the Oscars, that's more likely than uh, uh, you know. If you if you were to if if you were to have told me that a silent film by a French director was going to do that well in the box office, that, I agree. I would have said you were crazy too. But we keep calling that a silent film, and it's not as though it was a silent film like you know. It's not like there was an organist in the theater, you know, accompanying an actual silent film. Right. But, uh, but yeah, I, I agree. That was a uh, – and I found very um, heartening because I'm teaching a class uh, on the silent movie this semester. And it's – silent film is always such a tough sell to, to students, college-age uh, uh, students. And now between uh, Hugo and the artist, uh, uh, at least now the silent film seems to be a little hipper than it was. So, in, in, I mean, at least in terms of that respect, I mean – 
do you think that the fact that the artist wins one best picture, do you think that's going to, to matter in any way five years from now? I mean, is it going to influence the industry or influence perceptions or, you know, will, will any of these uh, cast members ever be heard from again? Well, uh, that all depends on the, you know, the kinds of uh, offers they get and the kinds of projects they uh, uh, get into. That's hard to predict. Um, I think the, the biggest influence on the artist of uh, forgetting that Oscar is going to be a lot more people are going to see that movie now than would have otherwise seen it. Um, does it mean we're going to have uh, you know all, all, every studio trying to do a silent film? No, I think that was a uh, uh, you know a unique situation, and I can't imagine that uh, uh, kind of thing uh, uh, happening. So aesthetically, um, you know, one Oscar to the artist, I think it, it, I don't think it's going to change much, but it is going that Oscar is going to get a lot of people to. Uh, to watch it. They heard that name mentioned on several awards as they were being handed out uh, uh, on Sunday night. And I think a lot of people who might not otherwise have uh, uh, seen it uh, uh, will uh, go see it in one form or another. Um, and who knows, of those, you might get people who, uh, you know, that, that get them to explore silent film, whatever. So in the end, you want a movie to be seen by as many people as possible, and you win a Best Picture art uh, Oscar, and a lot more people will see it. One thing I wanted to, to, to touch on real quickly is because you're such a, an expert uh, when it comes to television, I mean, when, you can, when you're looking at the TV industry versus the film industry, now it sort of seems like the film industry is in a bit of, of, of crisis, and it's in a period of transition, and that's why a lot of people say that you see institutions like the Academy looking on films like Hugo and the Artist with, with such – with such love because it sort of harkens back to that golden age of film. Right. Yeah. I mean, do you feel that television is now the more cutting edge art form? Has it sort of replaced film as the dominant cultural medium? Well, I think it replaced film as the dominant cultural medium. Uh, pretty much the first decade it came out in the 1950s. The real question though is, has it replaced film as the most serious artistic visual medium? And uh, I think there's a pretty strong, one could make a pretty strong case uh, that it has. I mean, when you look at what's gone on really starting in the 1980s, but uh, for the past uh, dozen years or so, with shows like The Sopranos and The Wire and Breaking Bad and Dexter and Mad Men, I mean, some of the most extraordinary storytelling in any medium is going on on these pay cable and basic cable uh, programs. And because they have the advantage of being able to develop over time, you know, uh, in the case of a show like Breaking Bad or The Sopranos, 13 hours uh, uh, per season, you know, a movie can't go much more than three. And then it's, the, you know, the story's got to be finished. So I think television, when it finally was kind of allowed to become adult and sophisticated and not just talking horses and genies and flying nuns and all that kind of thing. Um, television in many ways can trump a lot of what film uh, 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 does. And now with people having bigger screens and high definition, it, it can actually be visually compelling as well. I, my, my joke is always, uh, for, you know, for most of the uh, um, uh, you know, last 60 years, uh, people might take a job in television, but they couldn't wait till they got out of TV and could get into film. Uh, and they want, you know, what I really want to do is, is direct that old uh, joke. Now I get a sense that there are a lot of people directing films. And when you say, what do you really want to do? They say, what I really want to do is do my own series for HBO. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, there's so much more you can do in, uh, 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 some of that stuff because you've got so much more time in which to do it. Now, which is why I think a, a film like Hugo, or for that matter, The Artist, that really does what a film is good at doing. You know, Hugo's a single story. It's in 3D. It should be seen on a big screen. It's a spectacular... Uh, uh, it, it's a perfect thing for a movie. But so many of the serious kind of uh, relationship films and all the rest of it, that could, so much of that can be so much better done on ex extended uh, series television. So do you ever think that there will come a day when the, the Emmys are sort of the biggest award show of the year as opposed to, to the Oscars? Do you think the Emmys will become the, the more respected and the more prestigious 
award show? Um, no, not because I don't think that the, you know the balance of aesthetic power is uh, leaning uh, is not leaning toward television. Because I think to some extent it is, as I was just saying. Um, it's just that I think the uh, the importance of these awards, and especially with television, um, have never are, are actually lessening rather than uh, 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 going up. In that there are so many opportunities to now now to see these movies, to see these television shows, and to read infinite amounts of opinions about them. Uh, I mean, not only from you know professional critics, but all the people who are blogging about this stuff and everything. That even though I think television is more exciting than it's ever been before right now, I, I don't think who gets the Emmy is 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 what's exciting about it. Right. And I think that may, to some extent, be true about the Oscars as well. Maybe be partially because there's so many awards show now that they begin uh, to dilute. And I think the Oscar will always be the, the you know, the one you really want to get. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I guess maybe it's just the television is a long tradition that uh, people know what they like and, uh, you know, what they, uh, who gets the Emmy has never seemed to matter as much to most people, unless you're getting one. I guess I guess that's true. I mean, I mean, it does. Sometimes it seems like it doesn't know. It doesn't matter how many uh, awards a, a TV show win. It's not going to help people discover it <laughs> or yeah, no, start it, watching. There have been a, a couple of occasions. Uh, um, Hill Street Blues was, I think, the lowest rated show, like at the bottom of the list. Uh, that first year, it, it debuted on January of '81, and it did like 17 episodes that that winter and spring. And I believe it came in as the lowest rated show of the entire season on all the networks, bottom of the list. And then they got a, a either record-breaking or close to a number of Emmy nominations. And everybody reported that. And uh, then they won a bunch of Emmys. And when that show came back the following fall, uh, it, its ratings were much, much bigger than it had been before. And it became a minor hit over the next year or two. But then you got Arrested Development, and right. it won the best, uh, Emmy for Best uh, Comedy, and that still wasn't enough to make that show work. All right. Well, do you have any closing thoughts about the Academy Awards, the Oscars, the, all this glitz and glamour? It seems like it will probably be forgotten within the next few weeks. Yeah, well, right. This this was not a terribly memorable uh, 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 Oscar presentation, but the movies that it got talked about, uh, you know, hopefully we'll be watching for uh, – uh, uh, for centuries. And for the glitz and glamour, I mean, it's, again, it's an infomercial for uh, uh, Hollywood. Hollywood's always been pretty good at glitz and glamour. If I had to say anything uh, about the traditional Oscar presentation is that I'm, I'm constantly surprised how stodgy it is, given that this comes out of the, uh, you know, the center of the universe of show business and all the rest of it. Um, you know, you've still got these people going up there reading from teleprompters some pretty old-fashioned copy. Uh, there are times, uh, you know, even uh, in this 2012 uh, Oscars, where uh, uh, if it weren't for the titles of the film, some of the uh, um, some of the dialogue being said it could have been 1955. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I definitely got that feeling as well. I mean, is it, maybe it's just a sign that the Oscars really need to inject some new life and some some new blood. Into the and I, don't, I think they're very stubborn about it. I mean, I think they are so protective of that brand. Um, and there's so much you've got to do. I mean, you've got to name the nominees. You've got to drag the winners up onto the stage. They've got to give speeches. By the time you get the business done that's got to be done for the night, it doesn't leave you too much room to mess around with other things. And uh, it was pretty lean uh, this year. I mean, you had the Cirque du Soleil thing, and you had the, um, uh, what was it, uh, Wizard of Oz uh, focus group. Um, uh, Billy Crystal's opening stuff, but uh, there was not a whole lot of uh, you know external stuff going on there. And even when they gave Oprah Winfrey an Oscar, she was on camera for like a tiny period of time. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining me today on the show. It's it's been a pleasure uh, talking with you. Pleasure's mine. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Bye bye. All right. Thanks again to Professor Bob Thompson for coming on the show. He always has unique perspective on things. I mean, can you can you see why he's quoted so much? The sentences he spits out are, are like crack cocaine for journalists. I mean, they're knowledgeable, insightful, can easily be edited into something concise. I mean, he, he terrific guy. Great guy. If you're at all interested in television or the history of television, you should definitely check out any of his numerous books 
on the subject. But uh, that will wrap it up for this bonus episode of Cinema Fix. We would love to get your feedback on the show and see what you thought of our special guests. We hope to have more guests on in the future. You can email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at www.filmgeekradio.com. Let us know what you thought of the 84th Academy Awards. Did you like them? Did you hate them? Do you just not give a damn? Write in. Let us know. You can also subscribe to Cinema Fix through iTunes. So if you liked this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us out and get the word out about the show. You can also donate to the show through the website. We really appreciate it. You really have no idea how much uh, we rely on your support to keep the website running, to, to pay for hosting, to keep putting out quality content. It, it really helps us out uh, when you donate, even if it's just a couple dollars. You can find some of my writing at www.thekuleshoveffect.com and also on filmgeekradio.com on the uh, the blog extension there of the network. We will be covering South by Southwest in two weeks, so be sure to be checking the uh, website pretty regularly uh, during that time for uh, some, some constant updates on all the latest movies that we're seeing there, both the big mainstream releases and the smaller independent films. Be on the lookout for that. You can also follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash writerandrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message and let me know that you're a listener, and I will be sure to follow you back. All right, that'll wrap it up for today's show. As always, I'm Andrew Johnson, and have fun this week getting high on cinema. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!